Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, help me to remain steadfast under trial, to run with endurance the race that is set before me, and to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and constant in prayer. Lord, is my refuge and strength. You have seen me through trials, both great and small, and I give glory to you in all of them. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. That is a prayer for perseverance, which is so desperately needed in the days we live. You should pray every day for perseverance to the end, because it's in the end that's most important. How you finish, not how you start. All right. Today, uh, kind of, we don't celebrate the saint in America, but in Poland they do. Saint Hyacinth. Uh, this uh, it was a gentleman, by the way man lived between 1185 and 1257. And one of the most interesting things about this saint is that this saint walked across a river, probably two, there's records of two accounts, uh, and over 400 people testified to seeing this saint carry a statue of Our Lady across the river. And for two centuries, the footprints on the river could be seen by people who were down by the river. So kind of a remarkable thing and we have to remember all things are possible for God. St. Hyacinth, pray for us. If you've been going to Mass the last couple of days or and today even, um, you would know that Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness and the uh, obligatory nature that is required of the Catholic, of the Christian, to always forgive. Today the Gospel comes to us from uh, the 18th chapter of St. Matthew, and this is what it says. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor who was brought before him, who owed him a huge amount, since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he had paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly father do to you 
unless each of you forgives his brother from his heart. When Jesus finished these words, he left Galilee and went to the district of Judea across the Jordan. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So it's kind of a remarkable story. Sadly, the New American Bible isn't the greatest translation we have. Because there's details in this story that uh, are lost on English-speaking audiences that use this version of the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, for one thing, the magnitude of the deaths is really not understood from this story uh, based on the way it's been worded. So um, let me just give you another example. Uh, Okay, so when you think about this, when you look at the original, uh, okay, so the RSV is a better translation, and it says he was, the one who was brought before him, the first one, owed him 10,000 talents, 10,000 talents, uh, Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's all right. Let's back up a minute. So, the whole concept here of mercy and justice, we have to understand what they mean. Justice demands that everyone be given their due, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So, if you rob a bank, and the penalty is twenty years in prison, and you receive twenty years in prison, you have justice has been served. You've been given your due. Conversely, on the positive side, if you uh, love God and love your neighbor, and you will be afforded entry to heaven. Justice has is, is been served because you followed the uh, ways of Jesus and you were merited by his grace to get to heaven. Justice has been served. Okay, so does mercy overlook justice? No, it doesn't. What mercy is, is uh, pardoning the justice part, removing the justice. Uh, And this is kind of the way God has been treating us. And so he asked the same from us when we're dealing with fellow brothers and sisters. So when is it right to show mercy and pardon to those who have acted unjustly towards us? Well, you have to understand something. The Old Testament prophet Amos said that, um, God forgives transgressions three times, but warns that God may not revoke punishment for the fourth. May not. It doesn't say he won't. It says he may not. So Peter, being a good Jew, says to the Lord, uh, we heard it today, how often must I forgive? And then Peter says, as many as seven times. Now, Peter would know this scripture from Amos, and he'd be thinking, look, I'm going even beyond what the Lord does. I'm going to seven times instead of four. Much to his shock, Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. So 10 times what you just said. And really he means uh, you must always forgive because seven's the perfect number. So the perfect number times a magnitude of that number, again, would be unlimited. And this would be surprising to Peter because this is not really the way that people looked upon forgiveness at the time. It was uh, not freely given so often, except to those you really liked. So 
how unthinkable for Jesus to counter with such a, a big proposition, right? And then he tells this story that we just heard of these two servants who owe the king debts. One, it says, was a huge amount, and the other was a small amount. Now, that doesn't really give you any idea of how much was owed. But when we look to the details in some of the more um, literal translations, like the RSV, we see that it was 10,000 talents. What's a talent, you might ask? So a talent was one talent. It was the largest unit of measure. One talent was 6,000 days wages, okay? 6,000 days wages, and there's 10,000 of them. So that's 60 million days wages, which is about 164,000 years of wages. Are you starting to get the picture? This would have been impossible to pay back because human beings only live about 80 to 100 years on a good day. So 164,000 years, impossible. It's unachievable. That was the point. The other servant owed 100 days wages, a tiny amount that was capable of being repaid. Uh, vastly different. The point of the matter here is that Jesus is letting them know um, God, the king, has forgiven the debt. And it was an unforgivable debt. You couldn't possibly pay it off. It was impossible. That's why sin, our sins against God, is the debt he's talking about. Because God is so infinitely great, perfect, and pure, and our sins, even the smallest sin, is a horrible, atro atrocious offense against him that can never be um, can never be paid off by any amount of uh, hard work, tears, and sorrow. Because uh, to offend a, a God, you need a God to atone for that offense. Then the God would have to also be human to make restitution for the human race. So this is why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's because of Jesus's offering on the cross that we've all been forgiven an unforgivable debt that only Jesus could do, only God could do. We are now forever indebted to God. And because of that, when somebody sins against us, somebody hurts us, we must forgive because it's so infinitesimally small compared to the debt we owed God. And this is the whole point of this story. It's exactly what he's talking about here. So no offense our neighbor can do to us can compare with our own personal debt to God for offending him. We have been forgiven an enormous debt we could never repay on our own. And this is why our Father in Heaven sent his only begotten Son, who, was, who freely and willingly gave up his life for our sake to ransom us from slavery to sin, from Satan, and from death. Now, St. Paul says, you were bought with, with a price. Yes, indeed, you were bought with divine blood, something we could never do on our own, and this is why it was such a great price. Uh, and that price was Jesus' death on the cross. Through the shedding of his blood, Jesus not only bought uh, us back to himself, but he brought forgiveness and pardon for our offenses. 
and released us from captivity to Satan and the bondage of sin. Now, in the hierarchy of goods, this was the greatest good, because now we can be restored to our Father in heaven for all eternity. There's nothing more great or more important than that. So any injustice done on this planet in this life against us will never compare to the great gift we've been given through Jesus Christ offering himself on the cross so that you and me could be restored to the Father. That's the the, the huge message of this gospel today, and, and really the whole gospel in general. As a result, forgiving others has now become a sacred duty. It's not just a feeling. I... I can't even, I'm not going to go into the whole forgiveness and, and how to actually do it. I've done it before on this show, but maybe for another time, but it, it, it would take up too much time uh, from today's uh, broadcast. But forgiving someone has nothing to do with your feelings. It is a sacred duty that we are now um, almost indebted to carry out because of what was done for us. If God has shown mercy to us, granting us pardon for our sins, then we in turn must show mercy and forgiveness towards every person who has offended us. And the willingness to forgive those who offend us is literally a sacred duty because we are acting in accordance with the way God acted towards us. We're we're paying it forward, you might say. So if we expect God to pardon us and show us his mercy when we sin and disobey his commandments then we must be willing to let go of any resentment of all the grievances, the ill will, the bad feelings towards our neighbor. And Jesus teaches us that we have to pray daily for the grace and strength to forgive others in the same measure in which God has forgiven us. And by the way, we're never going to achieve that because the measure that he has forgiven us, we can't, we can't, we can't even rise up to it because we are so much smaller in our um, capacity to do that. But, you know, it's like looking at a water tower that, you know, that could be the, or, or a lake or an ocean. That's God's capacity to forgive. And then you look at us and we're like maybe a little Dixie cup. Uh, but if we're filled to the top and we're using everything we have to forgive to the capacity we have, that's pleasing to God, but we're never going to match the ocean. You understand? But we're still pleasing if we use the entire capacity of the Dixie cup to forgive others. So I would say when you look at how mercy and justice interact here, mercy seasons justice and perfects it. Mercy is the flip side of God's justice. It's like two sides of the same coin. Without mercy, justice is cold and calculating and even can be cruel. But mercy seasons justice as salt seasons meat and gives it flavor. Mercy follows justice and perfects it. So justice is demanding that the wrong be addressed and to show mercy without addressing the wrong and to pardon the unrepentant is not true mercy, but license. And that's not healthy either. C.S. Lewis, the great uh, Christian author, wrote, Mercy will flower only when it grows in the crannies of the rock of justice. 
transplanted to the marshlands of mere humanitarianism, it becomes a man-eating weed, all the more dangerous because it is still called by the same name as the mountain variety. End quote. So if we want mercy shown to us, we must be ready to forgive others from the heart as God has forgiven us. So if you've got anybody out there today that you're holding a grudge against, you have to ask God to come into your heart and open it and give, give, to give you the capacity to forgive. Remember, it's a decision of the will. It's not a feeling. So you can just quite simply say, Lord, I'm very angry at what this person did to me, but I'm choosing to forgive them and I ask you to forgive them too and to bless and heal them so they can become the saint you made them to be so they can get home to heaven. When we pray for someone to get to heaven, assuming you want to be in heaven too, it shows God we're truly forgiving them, regardless of how you feel. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, that was the worst he ever felt his entire life, yet he chose to forgive. It was the decision of his will. And so we have to make it too. Same decision, to forgive. All right, that's, uh, we got about nine minutes. I'm going to go into a little bit about perseverance because perseverance is so necessary in the days we live. Um, and it, it is, uh, I would say it's a, it's, a, it's sort of a skill, but it is a grace for sure. And a gift from God. But, you know, we, we're living in a time when, um, slothfulness is reigning supremely. And what I mean by that is that people are, not everybody, but as a culture, we become rather lazy and somewhat entitled. And we're not probably working as hard as the generations that preceded us in, in general. I'm not saying everybody. Um, the culture has gotten uh, very comfortable and too much comfort breeds slothfulness. Uh, so perseverance is something that we need to be praying for every day, that we would accomplish all the Lord places before us, and we would do it to the best of our ability for the glory of God our Father. Perseverance is needed. So as uh, Catholics, as Christians, we're, we're never immune to life's difficulties, and we're not immune to the challenges, but we're called to press on towards the ultimate goal of living day in and day out for Jesus. And that requires perseverance, uh, particularly when you're, you're getting uh, hit over the head with several, uh, I wouldn't, I don't want to say calamities, but several trials, several crosses at once, you know, and sometimes it happens like that. Like when one thing goes wrong, it seems like everything's going wrong and it really takes a toll on the individual and it can take a person down where they just fall into despair. They go into the bedroom, they close the door, they get into bed under the sheets and they don't come out for days. That would not be good. You know, that would be a victory for the enemy. So we really want to uh, understand perseverance and how it works. The first thing you have to know is that perseverance, uh, it brings glory to God. You know, it brings glory to God. Look at Job. When Job kept persevering despite all those horrible trials Satan inflicted upon him. And we know from the scripture it said God was uh, so enamored with Job and his response. 
most of it, not all of it, but uh, 90% of it. So it demonstrates that our faith and dependence on God in the face of adversity is still alive and well. That's what perseverance is telling the people around us. It's what te- it's, it's the message we're sending to God. And we know from the scriptures that God uses trials and difficulties to refine our faith and to mold us into the image of his son. So when we persevere in difficult circumstances, we can show the world that our hope and our trust is not in ourselves, but it's in God. It's in God. In uh, John 15, 8, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So perseverance in faith uh, bears much fruit and shows the world that we are followers of Jesus and we trust in him alone and we're not concerned by what uh, by what the world thinks of us. Also, perseverance produces a spiritual maturity. And this is very important as well. Uh, the life of the Christian, you know, St. Paul talks about running the race. I have run the race well, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And perseverance is necessary to run the race well. Uh, also, uh, Paul, speaking to the Hebrews in chapter 12, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So the Christian life is a long journey, and it's often filled with obstacles and difficulties. But by persevering in our faith, we can grow and mature spiritually. So the next time you have an obstacle, I want you to think to yourself, this is an opportunity for me to mature spiritually, that I will gain, I will gain a foothold and grow through this experience. Paul also says uh, to us through the Romans, we're speaking to the Romans in chapter five, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. So by persevering in difficult circumstances, We can develop these virtues that will help us navigate life's challenges and obstacles and even build up hope. Imagine that. Because the whole point is once God brings you through something, no matter how it ends, when you know he's with you, you uh, gain a certain certain, uh, foothold over that sort of experience that the next time it comes about, you already know. You have experiential knowledge that God will get you through it. Now, in Revelation, we hear uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. So there's a great reward here to the one who conquers. We're conquering uh, the challenges of life. So perseverance is necessary to overcome the trials and difficulties that we will be facing throughout our lives. So this gift of perseverance, it really can't be overemphasized at all. It's so necessary. 
for us to run the race before us and to mature in our faith and to bring glory to God our Father. And it allows us to overcome the trials and difficulties of life and emerge victorious in every situation, not just the ones that score a victory according to the world, but particularly the ones that would say, I would say, score a victory through the eyes of heaven. You know, the cross was a victory for heaven, but the world saw it as a great failure. So we have to change the way we view things. This is so imperative. We can't be looking at things like the world does. You know, we have to be looking at things differently with the eyes of heaven. You know, when we when we consider um, Paul speaking to the Romans, there's this great scripture which always I always it always comes to mind when I think about looking at things through the lens of heaven. He said, "Do not." Be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Did you hear that? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Spend time in prayer. Read the scriptures. That's it. Spend time in prayer. Read the scriptures partake of the sacraments so you're always filled with grace and your soul is sparkling clean it's important to have a sparkling clean soul if it's marred with mud and dirt and filth that means the grace pipeline is being shut down and you are at a disadvantage a huge disadvantage when you're no longer hearing from the holy spirit you're at an awful disadvantage so do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind then you will be able to test and see what is God's will, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's it. That is a motto to live by. Let's see. Tomorrow is Friday, so we will be asking the exorcist questions. If you have any, uh, write them down and submit them by email or call into the show tomorrow. Uh, thank you to all the people who've been donating to us throughout the summer. You know, I really don't like coming back to everybody um, constantly begging for money each quarter uh, when it's the same people, it seems, that keep giving over and over and over. And I, I thank you for these these great people. Thank you. But we really wanted to, to – we have to cast the net wider. And so please, please, please uh, get your friends to know about Radio Maria. Also, I have some new – social media accounts that have been opened up to help spread the word and get it out there. And it's so uh, Father Dan Rehill on Instagram, Father Dan Rehill on TikTok. Can you imagine I'm on TikTok? Uh, I am, but I'm not. It's my content, but I have a very good Catholic gentleman from Washington, D.C. who's been handling this for me, uh, and he posts them up. I don't, I don't get involved with the technology. I just create the content mostly through this show and through my homilies at Mass, and um, he's very gifted at putting little snippets that really cut to the core of the message. So please look those up and uh, shoot those, share them with your friends, uh, hit follow, like it, whatever they do, so we can get the word out and drive more people into hearing the great gift of Radio Maria USA, the 24-hour program for beautiful Catholic content, day in, day out. All right? God bless you, 
And uh, God willing, I'll be with you tomorrow. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing out.